Welcome to the Christian History Podcast, Chapter 2, Episode 20, The History of Haran. Last week, after many episodes, I wrapped up the Sumerians. If you missed any of that series, you should really go back and give them a listen. This week, I intended to begin the history of the Elamites, but a funny thing happened on the way to publication. I reread a portion of Genesis, which I'll summarize in a minute, and noticed a town, specifically one named Haran. Then I asked myself, why would Abraham be heading there? This episode intends to answer that question and inform you about that little area. Alam will have to wait until next week. So let's get started. In Genesis 11, the narrative explains how Abraham, his wife Sarah, his father Terah, and his nephew Lot all set out from Ur to Haran, a city on the present-day border of Turkey and Syria. They were headed to Canaan, but for some unknown reason, they never made it quite that far. There isn't much to Haran, especially in the historical record, but I'll cover it. There's, of course, much to Canaan, but I'm saving that one for later. Back to the Bible. At the end of chapter 11, Abram's father Terah dies. In Genesis 12, God called Abram to leave Haran, so he did, accompanied by Sarah and Lot. They finally completed the journey to Canaan, specifically making it to Shisham, located on the west bank of the Jordan River, in the present-day nation of Israel. Of course, many people today do not consider this area to be in Israel, but instead as part of the separate state of Palestine. Either way, I'm not wading into that modern-day mess. Not now, maybe not ever, but back to the history. Abraham did not stop in Shisham, but kept going, east of Bethel, passing between Bethel and Ai. He traveled further towards Negev, then to Egypt, deciding to go to that nation during a regional famine. Probably a bit of foreshadowing, and maybe having something to do with the droughts I covered previously. Also, I'll cover the Egyptians in the future. He stayed in Egypt for a while. The length of time was unspecified, and then he returned to Negev. Negev is a region in present-day southern Israel. Apparently, the time in Egypt was enough time for him to make something of himself. As Genesis 13 says, he became very wealthy, owning much, especially in terms of livestock, silver, and gold. After another indeterminate period of time, he left Negev and traveled to Bethel. Well, the narrative states that he actually traveled to a place between Bethel and Ai, both located on the present-day West Bank, meaning the West Bank of the Jordan River. You know, I probably phrased that wrong, as it was on the West Bank of the Jordan River then, too. This is the place he had been before, and apparently previously built an altar. At this point, his nephew Lot leaves because the land could not support both of their flocks, probably sheep. When Lot left, he headed for the plain surrounding the Jordan River near Sodom. Abram continued to live in the land of Canaan, specifically near the great trees of Mamre at Hebron. A curious aside, there is an oak in this area believed to be 5,000 years old. If true, that means it was alive when Abram was there. But the main oak trunk has been dead since 1996. However, in 1998, a root sprout appeared. I'll post a photo of this tree on the podcast Facebook page. 
There is an extra-biblical legend about when the tree would die, but you can look that one up on your own. Back to the history. The Canaanites and the Perizzites lived in the same area where Abram settled. I'll get to all of these areas and peoples soon. From the Bible text, remember that Abram left Ur to travel to Haran. Haran was a major ancient city in Upper Mesopotamia, whose site is near the modern village of Altenbask, Turkey, 27 miles or 44 kilometers southeast of Sarlufra. The location is in a district of the Sarlufra province that is also named Haran. These places are right on the border with Syria and where much of the fighting in the Syrian civil war is occurring. A couple of miles and few kilometers from the village of Altenbask are the archaeological remains of the ancient Haran, a major commercial, cultural, and religious center first inhabited in the early Bronze Age, around the 3rd millennium BC period. It was known as Haranu in the Assyrian period, possibly Haran in the Hebrew Bible, Karahe under the Roman and Byzantine empires, Hellenopolis literally meaning Greek city in the early Christian period, and Harain in the Islamic period. The earliest records of Haran come from the Elba tablets, dated to the 3rd millennium BC. From these, it is known that an early king or mayor of Haran had married an Ebalite princess, Zugalum, who then became queen of Haran, and whose name, consequently, appears in a number of documents. It is thought that Haran remained a part of the regional Ebalite kingdom for some time thereafter. Royal letters from the city of Marai, located downstream on the Euphrates, have confirmed that the area around the Balik River and the general vicinity of Haran remained occupied in the 19th century BC. It is thought that a confederation of semi-nomadic tribes was especially active around the region near Haran at that time. By the 19th century BC, Haran was established as a merchant outpost due to its location. The community, well established before that time, was situated along a trade route between the Mediterranean and the plains of the Middle Tigris. It lay directly on the road from Antioch eastward to Nisibis and Nineveh. The Tigris could be followed downstream to Babylon. The 4th century Roman historian Amanius Marcellinius is quoted as having said, From there, meaning Haran, two different royal highways lead to Persia, the one on the left through Adabine and over the Tigris, the one on the right through Assyria and across the Euphrates. End quote. Not only did Haran have easy access to both the Assyrian and Babylonian roads, but it also had access to the north, where the road to the Euphrates that provided easy access to Maltava and Asia Minor. According to Roman authors such as Pliny the Elder, even through the Classical period, Haran maintained an important position in the economic life of northern Mesopotamia. Given that we later learned that Abram was a successful merchant, he may have been headed to Haran due to its repute as a trading post. In its heyday, Haran was a major Assyrian city which controlled the point where the road from Damascus joins the highway between Nineveh and Karshemish. This location gave Haran strategic value from a very early date. Because Haran had an abundance of goods that passed through its region, it became a target for raids. In the 18th century BC, Assyrian king Shamshi-Adad I launched an expedition to secure the Haranian trade route. 
after the treaty between the Hittite Empire and the Mitanni in the 14th century BC. Haran was burned by a Hittite army under Pelashashili in the course of the conquest of Mitanni. And that's the problem with the strategic position. You get all of the wealth, but you also get many forces vying to control all of that wealth. In the 13th century BC, Assyrian king Adad-Nirari I reported that he conquered the fortress of Karaini and annexed it as a province. This is thought to have been Haran. Haran is also frequently mentioned in Assyrian inscriptions as early as Tiglath-Pileser I around 1100 BC, under the name Haranu, an Akkadian word meaning road, path, campaign, or journey, but not the band. Tiglath-Pileser had a fortress there, and also mentioned that he was very pleased with the abundance of elephants in the region. Elephants? Yeah, that's an extremely interesting comment. Were the elephants imported? Elephants live nowhere near there today. Maybe they were like the Barbary lions. 10th century BC inscriptions reveal that Haran had some privileges of fiscal exemption and freedom from certain forms of military obligations. It was even sometimes referred to as the free city of Haran. However, in 763 BC, it was taken by a rebellion against Assyrian control that resulted in the loss of these privileges. It was not until Sargon II restored order in around the late 8th century BC that these privileges were restored. During the fall of the Neo-Assyrian Empire, Haran became the stronghold of its last king, ashur ubalat II, who retreated from Nineveh when it was sacked by Nabopolassar of Babylon and his Midian allies in 612 BC. Haran was besieged and conquered by Nabopolassar and Cyaxerxes in 610 BC. It was briefly retaken by ashur ubalat II and his Egyptian allies in 609, before it finally fell to the Medes and Babylonians in 605 BC. The last king of the Neo-Babylonian period, Nabonidus, also originated from Haran, as substantiated by the evidence from the temple still of his mother, Adab-Gupi, who was thought by some to be Assyrian. You got all that? Yeah, it's confusing, I get it. Haran became a bastion for worship of the moon god during the rule of Nabonidus, from 556 to 539 BC, much to the dismay of the city of Babylon in the south, where Marduk remained its primary deity. There were so many false gods. Haran became part of the Midian Empire after the fall of Assyria and subsequently passed to the Persian Archimenid dynasty in the 6th century BC. It became part of the Persian province of Athura, the Persian word for Assyria. The city remained in Persian hands until 331 BC, when the soldiers of the Greek conqueror Alexander the Great entered the city. And that's why it was called Hellenopolis by early Christians. A few hundred years later, it would come under Roman control and remain so for many, many centuries, as it was when Christ walked a few hundred miles south. All of this background brings us to Genesis chapter 14, in the subject of the next section of the podcast, Alam. If I were to end the episode right here, it would be rather short, and Alam would stretch into probably three episodes. So I'm going to take this chance and get a head start. Alam is mentioned in the Bible in a few locations. 
First, it's in Genesis chapter 10, verse 22, in the Table of Nations. In this verse, a man named Elam is said to be one of the sons of Shem, the son of Noah, and of course making Elam the man, Noah's grandson. Elam the nation is mentioned in Genesis chapter 14, verse 1, where an ancient war in the time of Abraham is described. This war, according to the verse, involved a king of Elam it called Shedoliomer. Since this is a podcast about history, and that portion of chapter 14 recounts the history of the region, it's worth a quote from the New Revised Standard Version. And a bit of a disclaimer, in case you haven't noticed already. These names did not originate in my native English, so there is little doubt in my mind that I will completely butcher some, if not all of them. Now for the text. In the days of King Amaraphel of Shinar, King Arioch of Elisar, King Shedoliomer of Elam, and King Tidal of Giam, these kings made war with King Bera of Sodom, King Bersha of Gomorrah, King Shimba of Adam, King Shimabur of Zeboadam, and the king of Bela, who was not named. Bela is noted in the text as being the same place as Zor. All of these kings joined forces in the valley of Shittim, noted in the text as a valley in the area of the Dead Sea. Twelve years they had served King Shedoliomer, but in the thirteenth year they rebelled. In the fourteenth year, Shedoliomer and the kings who were with him came and subdued the Repiam in Ashtaroth, Karenim, the Zuzim in Ham, the Emim in Kiriathim, and the Horites in the hill country of Seir, as far as Elpharon on the edge of the wilderness. They then turned back and came to En Mishapat, noted as being in Kadesh, and subdued all of the country of the Amalekites, and also the Amorites who lived in Hazazan Tamer. Then the king of Sodom, the king of Gomorrah, the king of Adam, the king of Zebum, and the king of Bela went out, and they joined battle in the valley of Shittim with king Shedoliomer of Elam, king Tidal of Giam, king Aprophel of Shinar, king Arioch of Elisar, four kings against five. Now the valley of Siddim was full of bitumen pits, and as the kings of Sodom and Gomorrah fled, some fell into them, and the rest fled into the hill country. So the enemy took all the goods of Sodom and Gomorrah, and all of their provisions, and went their way. And now this is when the story starts to involve Abraham. These kings also took Lot, the son of Abram's brother, who lived in Sodom, his goods, and departed. Then one who had escaped came and told Abram the Hebrew, who was living by the oaks of Mamre, the Amorite, brother of Eshal and of Aner. These were allies of Abram. When Abram heard that his nephew had been taken captive, he led forth his trained men, born in his house, 318 of them, and went in pursuit as far as Dan. Now Dan is essentially the northernmost city in present-day Israel, on the border with Syria, just over a mile or about two kilometers from Lebanon. Back to the Bible. Abram divided his forces against them by night, he and his servants, and routed them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus, about 40 miles away. Then he brought back all the goods and also brought back his nephew Lot with his goods and the women and the people. 
There's a great deal of both research and speculation concerning the kings mentioned in this passage. Some researchers believe that Shedo Leomer may be a transliteration of Hammurabi, while others associate the king with Ur-Nammu and some with Sargon the Great, among many others. All of these theories are very interesting, but they're not really provable, at least until a clay tablet is uncovered that ties it all together, some sort of Rosetta Stone. But that will probably never happen. So for the purposes of this podcast, I'll cover the people mentioned, so at least you can have the understanding of the history of the region. After all, my overall aim is to place the history and stories of the Bible within the greater history of the world, and especially the region where it was written, at least until about 100 AD. After that, I'll explore the history around how and where the churches grew and evolved. So that's the episode for this week. Next week, I'll begin the history of the Elamites. I really will. You don't want to miss it. As always, you can find information about the podcast on the internet at christianhistorypodcast.com. Comments and questions can be sent to comments at christianhistorypodcast.com. You can also find the Facebook page by searching the phrase Christian History Podcast as three separate words. Once there, be sure to like the page. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to subscribe so you get the episodes as soon as they're released. Also go to iTunes and give it a positive review. Like I've mentioned before, of all of the requests I make, in my mind, this one is the most important. The number of reviews increases the ranking, which in turn makes it easier for listeners to find. Also, this next request is the second and probably the last time I'll do this, at least for now. If you recall how you initially found this podcast, such as the term you searched for that brought you here, send me a message via Facebook and let me know what led you here. This will allow me to fine-tune the web presence of the series. For those that have already done that, I really appreciate it. Thanks for listening, and have a great week.